Greetings, mysterious old listeners. This is Joshua with a warning and an apology. A recording glitch resulted in some distortion in the last 10 minutes or so of the podcast. We enjoy the spontaneous nature of our post-show discussions and hope you do too. That's why we decided not to do a second take. Although we know old-time radio fans have a high tolerance when it comes to questionable audio quality, we promise not to take advantage of it on a regular basis. So now, please enjoy and forgive our latest episode. Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. This week, we present another episode from our listener library, featuring suggestions from you, our mysterious listeners. D writes, greetings, I've just discovered your podcast and I love it been an OTR fan for many years, and this is great. How about an episode featuring the Mysterious Traveler episode, If You Believe? I've always loved the premise, and I think it would inspire some good discussion. Keep up the great work. The Mysterious Traveler ran for nine years on the Mutual Broadcasting Network, from December of 1943 to September of 1952. The show is created, written, and directed by Robert Arthur and David Kogan. The duo utilized a variety of genres, including horror, crime, and science fiction. Listeners tuned in each week, never sure what kind of story The Mysterious Traveler would tell. The Mysterious Traveler was nominated for the prestigious Edgar Award for the Best Radio Drama in 1949 and 1951, finally winning the award in 1953 after the show was canceled. Each episode started with the mournful wail of a distant train whistle, followed by the sardonic voice of The Mysterious Traveler, advising listeners to settle back, get a good grip on your nerves, and be comfortable if you can. The Mysterious Traveler was played by radio veteran Maurice Tarplin, who also played Inspector Faraday in Boston Blackie, and Dr. Weird in Arthur and Kogan's Mysterious Traveler spin-off, The Strange Dr. Weird. The Mysterious Traveler came to an untimely end in 1952, when the House Committee on Un-American Activities accused the Radio Writers Guild of being a bunch of dirty commie sympathizers. <laughs> Arthur and Kogan were active members of the Guild, and the negative publicity resulted in the cancellation of The Mysterious Traveler and the end of one of radio's greatest creative partnerships. Ironically, If You Believe, written six years earlier, warns against the same fear and hysteria that would eventually result in the demise of the show itself. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. The Mysterious Traveler. This is the Mysterious Traveler, inviting you to join me on another journey into the realm of the strange and the terrifying. I hope you will enjoy the trip, and it will thrill you a little and uh, chill you a little. So settle back and get a good grip on your nerves. 
if you can. Where are we going? Why, tonight we're going on a little excursion into the realm of pure imagination. You've all heard the old saying, believe in a thing enough and it'll come true. Well, suppose, just suppose many people came to believe in something, something that couldn't possibly be real. Such as an artificial monster growing in a scientist's laboratory. What would happen? But if you want to know what might happen, uh, listen to the story I call... If You Believe. My story begins in a rambling old house deep in the woods. In a homemade laboratory, gray-haired Professor Jonathan Davis is peering eagerly into a large glass container that holds an odd, transparent, jelly-like substance. Ellen! Oh, Ellen! Yes, sir? Ellen, come quick. I'm coming, dear. What is it? Ellen, look. I think... I think I've succeeded at last. Oh, Dad. You look. Your eyes are better than mine. Yes, his... Isn't there movement in the protoplasm this time? Isn't it stirring? Just a little? No, Dad. There isn't any movement. No? You're positive, Ellen? I, I was sure I saw some sign of light. I'm quite positive, Dad. Now, please, won't you admit that what you're trying to do is impossible? No, Ellen. No, I will succeed. I know it. Now, come. We've got to try another feeding mixture. If you hand me the saline solution and dextrose, now I'll begin again. But while Professor Davis labored in his lonely seclusion to make a lifelong dream come true, something that was to affect him vitally was happening in the editorial room of the largest newspaper in the nearby city. Steady desk, Benson speaking. Oh, oh, hello, Mr. McGuire. Yes? Well, yes, sure. I've been reading Dan Duncan's special features. I edit them. I see. You don't think they've been colorful enough lately, huh? Well, to tell the truth, I agree with you. I've been meaning to speak to him about it. Yes. Sure, I'll do it now. He just came in. Right. Right. Good night, Mr. McGuire. Hey, Dan. Yeah, Joe. What cooks? The big boss just phoned down. What's he want? Well, frankly, he thinks you're slipping. McGuire thinks I'm slipping. Well, I like that. That's what he said. And I've done everything to get hot material except to go out and commit a murder myself. Well, maybe he's tired of murders. You want to know why you don't turn up something like that haunted house story you did last spring? Why, I don't. <laughs> that was a good story, wasn't it? It was a honey. Yeah. Especially the description of the way the ghost of the drowned girl walked around the house leaving wet spots where it stepped. You know, I caught a heck of a cold walking around in wet socks to make those footmarks. No more than you deserve for faking a story. You're faking a story. Listen, Benson, any time a million readers believe a story, it's true. And they believed in that ghost. Every one of them. I'm not saying they didn't, but McGuire wants another story just as good. i got a good mind to tell the old buzzard to fly a kite. Another story like... Hey. Huh? What is it? I think I got it. Hey, Ted. Ted Jones. Oh, yeah, Dan? Front and center. Oh. Yeah, what is it, Dan? All right, dump your camera on the desk and sit. Okay. Now, tell me, 
What was that story you told me last week about some professor living up in the woods back of town, never coming out of his private lab? Oh, you mean uh, Professor Davis? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Well, what about him? There was a fuss over something he said in a lecture one day, wasn't there? A fuss? Well, it was more like an explosion. Hey, wait a minute. I remember that case. Professor claimed he could create an artificial man, wasn't that it? No, 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 no. He said that an artificial man might be produced someday. Uh, might be. Well, the paper said he claimed he could create one. Yeah, I know. Well, it made a good story, didn't it? And drove Professor Davis out of the university into retirement. Oh, the school didn't like the publicity. Water under the bridge, kid. Anyway, here's the old professor working away secretly for the last five years. All alone? No, no, he, he wasn't all alone. His daughter Ellen's with him. How old is she? Oh, she was 15 then, so... She's 20 now. Good looking? Well, I was in Professor Davis's class. I remember as a, as a skinny brat with uh, yellow hair. Yeah, good, a blonde. So here's the prof secretly working with his beautiful blonde daughter at what? I'll bite. What? Why, he's trying to prove he was right. He's trying to create a, an artificial man. Say, you've got something there. Oh, now, wait a minute. You don't know Professor Davis is trying to create artificial life. Well, we soon will. You know where his hideout is, don't you? Yeah. Oh, all right, then grab your camera. Let's get going. Oh, now, wait a minute, Dan. Suppose you find Professor Davis is... Ah, oh, forget it. Benson, save me two columns. Come on, Ted. We're on our way. <laughs> There, Ellen. It's done. Now we must warm it ever so gently. It'll stay at blood heat until morning. And then, Ellen... Oh, I hope so, Dad. But, darling, if you fail again, won't you please promise me to stop trying to create this artificial protoplasm? Well, we'll talk about that in the morning. Now, uh... Oh, who could that be? I'll go see, Dad. Yes? I'm Ted Jones, Miss Davis. I don't suppose you remember me. Ted Jones? Oh, you were one of Father's students, weren't you? Yes, that's right. I'm a newspaper photographer now. Oh. Uh, could we come in? I have a friend with me, a reporter. Ellen, and... who is it? Uh, newspaper men, Dad. They want to see you. Newspaper men? Don't let them in. Send them away. I come now, Professor. We just want to ask you a couple of questions, and uh, but we can talk better inside, so... Uh, there. Now we can talk like friends. Hey, but, Dan, we weren't invited in. How dare you force your way in here? Get out, both of you. Please go. Dan, come on. Professor Davis doesn't want to talk to us. Keep your shirt on, Ted. Just a couple of questions, Professor. Now, isn't it true that hidden away here, you're creating artificial life? I won't answer your questions. You just print more lies and ruin everything I'm trying to do. Then you are creating artificial life, huh? Young man, Tell I... me how far you've gotten. You figuring on springing an artificial man on us one of these days? You fools... While I still struggle to create synthetic protoplasm, you talk of artificial men. Go, go before I throw you out. Please go, please. Come on, Dan, we're leaving. Okay, we're going. Thanks for the interview, Professor. Read all about it in tomorrow's curtain. The imbeciles. What do they know of science? All they want is to cheapen my work. Make it a sensation for the headlines. Please, Father, you must get control of yourself. They've gone now. Yes, yes, dear. Well, they shan't interfere with my work. Well, come, we must adjust the heat and... Ellen. Ellen. Yes, Dad, what is it? Ellen, the mixture's moving. This time I'm sure of it. The protoplasm, it, it's alive. Say, Dan, this is something. Huh? 
Behind bolted doors deep in the woods, Professor Jonathan Davis toils night and day to create the world's first synthetic man. In a great vat lies a strange caricature of humanity. It has a head, arms, legs, a body, all of them fashioned of a pale green substance like gelatin. Nice touch, huh? Day by day, life stirs more strongly in this grotesque creation of science. Someday it may breathe, walk, eat. Now look, Dan, aren't you going pretty strong? Ah, forget it. The old man wants a story, doesn't he? Besides, the professor really is working on synthetic protoplasm. Maybe he has got a pale green monster in his bathtub. How do I know? Okay, Dan, but you're, if you're faking this story, I know nothing about it. Faking it? You know I never fake stories. Okay. We'll set this up and put it in the press wires. By noon tomorrow, 40 million people will be believing in Professor Davis' artificial monster. By noon tomorrow, I'll be believing in it myself. And so, all over the nation, people read the story and marveled and believed. While in the laboratory, hidden in the woods. Oh, look. This time, this time it is alive. It is. There can be no doubt of it. Well, this is certainly moving, Dad. Yes, see? And the protoplasm is breathing. Listen. You can hear it. I've created artificial life, Ellen. Yes, I'm, I'm afraid so, Dad. Afraid so? What do you mean? I'd like to see their papers down at the university when they hear of this. It's grown since last night. Yes, it has. The cells are multiplying like true protoplasm. That's why I transferred it to this gas tank. Now I'm at salt, acid, phosphorus. Oh, that, that must be grocery boy. Excuse me, Dad. Yes? Oh, you... Uh, Miss Davis, I hope that you'll let me apologize. We have nothing to say to you. Please don't shut the door before I explain. Explain? There's nothing to explain. You force your way in here. I and... came to apologize for that, is it? Well, have you seen the morning papers? We're not interested in the papers. I'm afraid you'll be interested in this one. Look. Oh, how outrageous. That story of your father creating an artificial man is in every paper in the country, and I... Well, I feel I'm to blame, and... I want to make up for it. Can I come in so we can talk? I guess you'd better, Mr. Jones. But Dad mustn't see this paper. Oh, no, no, of course not. But won't he recognize me? No, I don't think so. He's very nearsighted. I'll just tell him that you used to be one of his students. And if you'll tell me the real truth, I'll try to get the paper to understand that Dan Duncan just made up his story. Who is it, Ellen? Uh, it, it's Ted Jones, Dad, one of your former students. He, he called to say hello. Jones, eh? Jones. Yes. Ted Jones. Oh, yes, yes, of course. Organic chemistry, wasn't it, Jones? Oh, yes, sir. <laughs> You're the one who kept breaking things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jones, I, I have something here you'd be very interested in. Come and see. Yes, sir. Look. That stuff in the tank. It seems to be alive. It is alive. Synthetic protoplasm, my boy, the first ever created. It's breathing. Yes, and it's also growing. Life becomes stronger in it by the moment. It's changing color, Dad. Becoming a pale green. Yes, it's growing fast. Very fast. 
I'm a dream. Success would come well, completely. Well, hi, Dan. I thought I'd find you here. Why, Dan. Dan Duncan himself. Hiya, Professor. What do you want here? Oh, just a few pictures. Shot of you in your lab, so far. You have the nerve to come here after what you've done. What I've done? You haven't seen anything yet. You and your father are big news now. You're going to be bigger. Dan, you'd better go. Better go? I don't follow you, kid. I said you'd better go. There isn't any story here for you. No story? Hey, what's eating you? Aren't you here to get a follow-up? No, I came here to get the truth. Something you wouldn't be interested in. Hey, what kind of talk is that? Are you going to go or will I have to throw you out? Throw me out? Now, listen, kid. You want me to try it? All right, I will. Okay. Okay, I'm going. Take your hands off. But don't think you can get away with this. You're fired. And that's all right with me. And as for you, Professor, you and your artificial manner are going to be so well-known in a day or two, you'll be getting offers from Hollywood. And so, with each edition of the papers, the headlines grew bigger. The telegraph wires carried editorials condemning Professor Davis. Is it a man or is it a monster Professor Davis has created? By his refusal to answer questions, the professor led us to suspect that... Radio commentators spread the story to still more listening millions. A strange substance like pale green gelatin. Now it moves and stirs in its confinement, seeking to escape. This strange creation of the And speakers denounced Professor Davis. And I ask you, can science be permitted to venture into these forbidden realms unchecked? Who knows what horror may emerge from the laboratory if we are not careful? This mad thing must be stopped. Stop! Who is it? Oh, it's me, Ted. Oh. Ted, did you have any trouble? No, no, I got the medicine for your father, all right, and I, I brought the evening papers, too. What do they say? Pretty bad. They're all using Duncan's story, and he shot the works. Ted, how can he do such a thing? Well, he's a very plausible writer. He has a knack for making people believe him. If anybody accuses him of lying, he'll just say that he was misled by your father. I see. I'm sorry you lost your job trying to help us. Well, that doesn't matter. I was about ready to quit anyway. How, how is your father now? He seems to be sleeping quietly. Well, I'm sticking around until he's all right again. Well, you don't have to do that, Ted. I'll make out. If I hadn't gotten into that fight with Duncan, your father might not have had his stroke. No, it was just the excitement. It's his heart, but I know how to take care of him. But, Ted, I'm frightened. About your father? No. No, about it. The protoplasm. Oh. It's changed just since this morning. It's changed? How? It's grown and... Well, come on, see for yourself. All right. Helen, Helen, it seems to be taking on shape. Yes, and it looks... Oh, Ted, it looks like green gelatin. The way Duncan describes it. And look, there's a vague shape like a head and, and the rough outline of arms and legs. Oh, oh, it isn't possible. It shouldn't be, but it's happening. Something terrible is taking place inside that glass tank. I don't understand. Your father certainly never intended to create this. 
You know, all afternoon I've been wondering if Father really has created it. I'll follow you, Ellen. You mean... You mean some outside force might be responsible? Ted, you know the old saying, believe in a thing enough and it'll come true. Yes, of course. Well, I think that's true. The power of belief is a tremendous thing. People begin to believe that... Well, that there's going to be a depression, and there is a depression. But, Ellen... They begin to believe that strangers and foreigners are enemies. And pretty soon they are enemies. They believe there's going to be a war. And war comes. Well, that's true, but what are you getting at? How many people are reading Dan Duncan's story this very minute, right now, while we're talking? Hundreds of thousands, probably, all over the nation. Maybe a million. And they all believe it's true. Well, a good many of them. Yes, Dan has a genius for being plausible. Then don't you see, Ted? Here in this laboratory is the necessary material for a monster. And out there are all those people believing in such a fantastic monster. You mean... You mean a million people are thinking life into the protoplasm? Yes, Ted. I know it sounds fantastic, but that monster was never created by my father. Dan Duncan created it when he wrote about it. Well, if that's true... There's no other answer. Over there in that glass tank is something that's alive only because millions of people believe it's alive. No, it is alive. There's no telling what it may become. Ellen, we have to destroy it. It'll break Dad's heart, but we can't let it live. It's growing bigger by the minute. We've got to get rid of it now before it grows any larger. There's acid in those bottles there. That'll destroy it. All right. Yeah, yeah, I see. Here. Just as soon as I get it open... Take care of the creature. Be careful, Ted. It, it can burn you dreadfully. Ellen, Ellen, what's happening? What are you doing? Dad, darling, you're supposed to be in bed. Yeah, I'm feeling better. I wanted to see how the protoplasm was. Please go back to bed, Dot. Your heart. Oh, my heart's all right, but I must be sure. Oh, it's changed. Taken on a form. Yes, Professor, a monstrous, unnatural form. It has a head, arms, legs. But it can't have it. It's only protoplasm. It's all impossible. Unfortunately, it's true. I can't explain now, but, well, we've got to destroy it. No, no, the combination of my life's work. You can't destroy it. We must, then. No, no, I won't let you. It's the only thing to do. Professor, look at it. It, it, It's crawling around inside the tank now. It's trying to climb out. But it can't be dangerous. It's just harmless protoplasm. Dad, Ted is right. You've got to let us kill it. It's just protoplasm, I tell you. It was just protoplasm. Stand back, Professor. I'm going to empty this acid on No, no, you mustn't. I will. Dad! Dad! Tanky. He fell against the tank and broke it. Is he hurt, Ted? Well, I'll see. Oh. Ted, the protoplasm is moving toward him. We've got to get him out of here. I have his arms. Quick, you take his feet. I have his arms. Oh, hurry up, Ted. It's starting to crawl out of the tank. I've got to get him upstairs. Can you manage it? Yes, yes. Keep on. All right, easy now, easy. All right, just a little farther. All right, one more step, Ellen. Here's the landing. We can, we can put him down here. Now, easy. Easy. There. Ted. Ted, I can't find his pulse. Let me try. Dad? Ted's no use. He's gone. I'm afraid so. His heart failed him. I've always known it would someday. Ted, down in the laboratory. Yes, it's moving. Look, it's gotten out of the tank and it's crawling all around the lab. And the only way out... Is down those stairs and through the lab. 
We're trapped up here. I'm not saying it isn't a good story, Dan. It's a whale of a story. But McGuire wants some pictures. Pictures? How can I get pictures? I can't even get into the place. I don't care. Just get them. You want me to bust in the window, I suppose? Let your conscience be your guide. And I know you haven't got a conscience. But make it fast. I want those shots for the late morning edition. All right. I'm going. With a camera in one hand and a bunch of skeleton keys in the other. It's looking for food, Ted. Yes, and it's getting frantic. Look how it crawls back and forth through the lab. It's been doing that for an hour now. Look how enormous it's grown. Suppose it tries to come up these stairs to this balcony. Well, it may not. It it has no eyes, no intelligence. It's just protoplasm, blindly seeking food. But suppose it does try to come up the stairs. Well, then we'll stop it. I have the gun here that I found in your father's desk up up. I'll use that on it. I don't think it would even feel a bullet. Well, we'll see. There. There, it's on the other side of the lab now, in plain sight. Stand back, there, and I'll, I'll try a couple of shots. I hit it. It didn't even notice. Oh. Oh, if we could only reach those bottles of acid, that would fix it. But every time we've started down the stairs, it, it's rushed over to wait for us. I must feel the vibration, but... I'm going to take one more try. Ted, please be careful. Yes, I will. Tiptoe down one step at a time. Perhaps I can avoid attracting its attention this time. What's it doing now? Lying quiet, as if it was listening. Only lie quiet a few seconds more. I'm almost at the bottom. Ted, quick! It's coming this way! No, no, Oh, Ted, it almost got you. Yes, it did touch my foot, but... I wasn't interested in getting any better acquainted. What are we going to do now? I don't know. I don't know, Ellen. I don't know if we could only reach that acid. I wonder if it would make any difference if we turned out the lights. They can be controlled from up here, can't they? Oh, yes, but what good would that do? Well, in the dark, it might become inactive. Some elementary organisms are like that. Well, we can try it. Okay, I'll, I'll turn out the lights. There. Pitch black now. But it's still moving around. Well, just wait a moment. Listen. What is it, Jim? I heard footsteps outside the house. Footsteps? Just listen. Someone coming in the front door. Yeah, there's someone in the lab. But who would... Good heavens, oh. Duncan, is that you, Diane? Dan, answer me. Is that you? Get out. Get out. Quick. Okay, kid. Keep your shirt on. I'm going as soon as I get a picture of this joint. But, Dan, you don't understand. It's loose. Get away. Quick. Ellen, turn on that light. Yes, kid. <laughs> you can't scare me, kid. I came to get a picture, and I'm going to get it. <laughs> run, Dan. Run. Get up, Ellen, Ellen, don't look. Don't look. Don't look. Take one, we'll break them over, understand? Well, come on, then. He's gone. Duncan's gone. He's covering him. Eating him. Tell him, throw your bottle now. Don't feel like that. Force of it enough to kill anything. Are 
acid is burning into it. It's killing it. Ellen is dying. It's not moving anymore. It's not breathing either. We've killed it. It's starting to melt away. It's dissolving. Now that it's dead, it's turning back into the liquid it started from. The substance that the belief of millions gave an unreal life to. Oh, it's gone back to a liquid now. There's nothing left of it. It's gone as if it had never existed. Except for Dan Duncan. Oh, dear. There's nothing we can do for him, Ellen. He's dead. He created the monster. It's killed him. Maybe it's true about believing in things and making them happen. Wars and depressions and uh, artificial monsters and things like that. I think I'll make a New Year's resolution to be careful what I believe in 1947. Uh, no more believing in bogeymen or spooks. I might meet one. Instead, I'll try believing in some of the, uh, some of the nicer things for a change, such as peace and goodwill among nations. Well, if I can get enough people to join me, maybe they'll come true and... Oh, you'll have to get off here. I'm sorry. But I'm sure we'll meet again. I take this same train every week at this time. just heard The Mysterious Traveler, a series of dramas of the strange and terrifying. In today's cast were Maurice Toplin, Chuck Webster, Louise Fitch, Wendell Holmes, Edgar Staley, and Bill Smith. Original music was played by Doc Whipple. The Mysterious Traveler is written, produced, and directed by Bob Arthur and David Cogan. And now, a preview of next week's strange and shivery story by the mysterious traveler. It's only two days now to New Year's Eve. Were you planning a big celebration to greet 1947? I'd be careful if I were you. Because, you see, our story next week is about a man who did just that. In fact, it was such a big celebration that when he got over it, it wasn't 1947 at all, but 1948. He lost a whole year out of his life. And when he finally got the year back, well, what happened to him shouldn't happen to a werewolf. So take it easy, New Year's Eve, so you'll be sure to be on hand next week for the strange and terrifying tale I call New Year's Nightmare. <laughs> Traveler is presented from our New York studios. Carl Caruso speaking. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. For a behind-the-scenes glimpse into the workshops of the nation's top mystery writers, be sure to hear Mr. Mystery every week. 
the famous creators of your favorite fiction bafflers will be guests of Mr. Mystery. You'll hear short, short mystery dramatizations as well. Don't miss your chance for plus mystery entertainment and hear Mr. Mystery and a well-known guest expert every week over most of these stations. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. If You Believe, from The Mysterious Traveler, here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. All right, so this is what we know. The power of belief is a double-edged sword. (laughs) If we all believe really hard, we can make Santa's sleigh fly. (laughs) Or... We can turn protoplasm into a man. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just for eats starters. other men <laughs> i would like to propose that everybody listening to this podcast that we all set forth on some belief right now that we're going to materialize and make real <laughs> mine would be like perhaps the actual land of chocolate from dairy queen Ooh. or a new car for me we <laughs> <laughs> see where this is going for eric <laughs> Everybody wishes for the same thing at the same time. It requires at least a million people. Oh. Yeah, we need to uh, work on our listenership. It says in the story, million people. And that's like 1950s million people. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. but so by, by now we're talking. Like 400. <laughs> Six billion. Oh, I see. goes the other way. Because that was the population <clears throat> of the entire world is one million in 1946. <laughs> wow. So, I do my research, guys. This <laughs> This came from uh, Joshua. By the way, welcome nope. back after your break, everybody. Oh, yeah, from, yay. Uh, I hope everybody's holidays were great. Uh, this but this came... was a suggestion from D, one right, of our listeners. That you brought to us. Thank you, D. Let's start with you, Joshua. When you saw the, we have a number of suggestions that we're trying to get through all of them. Why did you pluck this one out? Oh, I had heard If You Believe, and I had been hoping to use it as a pseudo-New Year's type of story. Yeah, because you said... I, I think of it because of the very end when the Mysterious Traveler comes in and says, in 1947, because it, it was aired right before New Year's. Okay. And he talks about so how he's going to think positive thoughts for the New Year. And... Yeah, that's, that's weak. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if, if it doesn't take place at a New Year's Eve party, it's not a New Year's show, says Eric. Correct. It doesn't have have a lot of tinkling glasses in it. (laughs) A little quick confession before we get into the discussion proper. Sometimes when you're having the theater of the mind experience, Mm -hmm. it doesn't go like it's supposed to. Uh Mm Uh-oh. So I was listening to the opening. Everyone was naked, right? (laughs) Well, the Mysterious Traveler was introducing it, talking about it, and then there's a big musical sting where it just, in my head, like, does Mysterious Traveler have an organ with him all the time that he's <laughs> On the playing the organ under his own it's, conversation? They had organ-powered trains <laughs> in the 1940s. Yes. So like every time, oh, this is my stop. Could you nope. just unplug that there? No, they had a rack on the front of the train where you would put your organ. Could someone help me push this? <laughs> you got to stop talking about the Mysterious Traveler's organ. <laughs> Sorry, D. <laughs> Um, she said this would bring up some very interesting conversation, and, and she's, so far, so far, you're wrong. <laughs> D. No, I, it is very interesting because it's I, it, fake news. It's, it's a story about news. fake news. Yeah. Yes. So I mean, Correct. that makes it sort of mind-boggling. Uh, yes. <laughs> 
to reach it, that far back in time and have them grappling with very similar things. It certainly doesn't put the Fifth Estate in a good frame, does it? it <laughs> no. For a very long time in this country, you know, we never had that fear. They were upstanding, noble people that reported the news. I think there's a long history of journalism that is just made up. Yellow journalism. Yes. There are periods of time in which it becomes New York Post. more prevalent or we as a culture react negatively and react against it in a stronger way. The difference, though, is we all knew and understood the National Enquirer and its purpose and where it stood. <laughs> we knew what it was, and it was great for that. The twist now is the idea of trusted sources becoming that. When we, of our generation, we have a memory of news sources that we perceive, and I, I think it still hold up as like, that is a responsible journalist that is an example of it mm. and it is the industry standard watergate right yeah yeah <laughs> exposed by what responsible journalism i would say right the Will nobility you leave nixon of... alone <laughs> <God>. <laughs> the man is dead <laughs> just saying that's what it was intended to do but yeah. this is terrifying that moment when he just walks into the house i wrote a note kind of out loud and before i could finish the note i started to say hey get out of their house and then they said, hey, get out of our house. Oh, good. They're on top of it. They got it. Yeah. But it bugged me so much. But it was really a nice job of making him unlikable. Yeah. Because they start with the destructive power of poor journalism on a, like a micro level in that it was irresponsible story that got Professor Davis forced him into retirement to mm -hmm. begin with. So it affected his life personally. And then we go to this story, which is on the macro level, where they're unleashed a monster on the city. <laughs> and it's also a little cynical about what people will believe. It is so much easier to get the world, millions of people, to believe there's a monster than it is to believe there's Peace. a cure for yeah. cancer. They directly address that in that final moment, which they give to um, his daughter, Ellen, where she basically breaks the fourth wall and says, hey, listeners, we're not talking about monsters. We're talking about world economies. We're talking about racism. We're talking about fear of the other. Uh, we're talking about war. Mm -hmm. And a monster is just the only way we can tell this story. Because in five years, we're going to be fired. <laughs> what year did <laughs> because this of come monsters. Because of <laughs> What year was this again? This is uh... Uh, 1946, I believe. Yeah, so we're on the heels of yeah. Germany. People were terrified of the idea of how fast and quickly and easily that whole country followed one man. And so I think this is more of a commentary on, you know, don't let that happen again. Don't let that happen again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems very modern in its concerns. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And it's interesting how they balance that with wanting to tell a, just a mysterious traveler, mad scientist, monster story. Let's take away the deep philosophical, sociological element to this story that we could discuss forever and just talk about something awesome. Protoplasm coming to life <laughs> and moving around and trying to find food and shooting gunshots into it and trying to figure out how to kill it. We need acid. <laughs> Perfect. It was really fun. and. This whole story is the thing that I love about old-time radio the most. What that thing looks like is mine. And I'm participating in this process, in this art. And whatever you guys got in your head is yours. Mm -hmm. There's no description of it. And I well, There's some description, that. but I think it's clever in that they leave yeah. it ambiguous because of the important plot point in that 
Dan, the reporter, the unscrupulous reporter, makes up that it has mm-hmm. head and no eyes and arms. And it's because the general public believes that to be true. Mm-hmm. They s- notice that it's starting to take that shape. And they do say it has no eyes, so it can't possibly see them. That's a little creepy moment, too, where it's just like listening for them. It's got a head-ish. And to be clear, I think it looks like Prody from Legion of Superheroes. <laughs> Only green, because I was paying attention to the details. <laughs> And if you guys want my lunch money now, I understand. <laughs> Just to be clear, mine is wearing cowboy boots. <laughs> and he wore them without long socks. And so the sides of his calves have little chafes oh. from a day of wearing them. But D was right. This is a very interesting discussion. <laughs> uh, going back to just how exciting it is as a, a straight sort of science fiction story. I don't know my B-movie history as well, but it seems very prescient in how these sorts of science fiction stories would feel in the 50s. Frankenstein moment, too. I mean, the creator is killed by his own monster. Yeah, and he doesn't want the monster killed, too, that moment of, like, Mm -hmm. even though all this has gone terribly wrong, Mm -hmm. he steps in uh, when they want to throw the acid on the protoplasm man. No, I'm not talking about that creator. The reporter is oh, the creator. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's a nice image where the He's... monster slowly fades. And it's it's one of those moments where the exposition is heavy-handed. It's radio exposition as the couple are standing there explaining, oh, it's shrinking, oh, yeah. it's this, and it's artificial. But the actors do it in mm-hmm. a way that's really pulls you in. Mm-hmm. And they they're almost sound hypnotized in their description of it until it's finally the lie that Dan had wrought is all gone, leaving just leaving the truth, which is his dead body. That's all that's left. I did get distracted by, you know, I know there's the deeper level of that we've already discussed about belief and making things come true and the dangers of mass belief. But I did get hung up on right, that's how they got Santa Slay to fly an elf. I'm sure you are alone in that. Um, no. But... I bet you I'm not. I bet you there's at least one other. It, it's also just interesting to me that the power of belief, having been involved in sports my whole life as a player uh, and a coach, and how important buying in is to the success of team. You can have all the talent and all the greatest players and all it doesn't matter unless everybody's buying into a system of belief that this is going to work. But it isn't about proof. It's about believing it. And once somebody on a team says, especially someone who might be a leader, says, I'm not buying this anymore, it all falls apart. Yeah. And, and it's intangible, and you can't put your finger on it, and you, you no, can't like rehearse it. It's like acting, too. It's being yep. in the moment. It's believing that. And if one it's person on crazy. stage... Yep decides they're not committed it can just drag everybody else down why are you looking at me (laughs) (laughs) because you're always on the stage (laughs) i don't believe this (laughs) blah 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 king lear blah blah One of the things I do love about this episode is that last coda with the mysterious traveler. Because usually there's no sincerity to that. He's he's doing the Raymond S. sort of, I want a little pun here. I want to tell you guys how this was really a funny, macabre story. But here, to hear him be somewhat sincere, and what I can't decide if it's just plugging his sincerity into the usual mysterious traveler coda formula 
or if it's intentional cynicism on the part of the writers because he's doing his bit. He's talking about, I might, um, you know, instead of believing in boogeymen and spooks, I'm going to believe in some of the nicer things such as peace and goodwill among nations. If I can get enough people to join me, maybe they'll all come true. Oh, you're getting off here, mm-hmm. which is the formula for these. But here it seems like, oh, no one's going to really do this. I liked and, that a lot too because usually in that moment it's because he's describing something there's horrible. even a worse story. There's something more horrible. I want to tell you. Oh, you have to yeah. leave. I have the scar. Want to see it? Yeah. <laughs> and it's implying that in this time, that as equal to the worst story I could tell you is asking you to participate in optimism and world peace. Yep. All right. Let's go to the vote, Tim. I certainly say this is good all round. I I don't know if I would quite say classic. Uh, maybe I would. I'll say it. Classic. <laughs> Why'd you say it like that, though? That was weird. <laughs> because I believed. <laughs> Good tie-in. Thank you. I um, would say it's definitely a classic. It stands the test of time. I mean, this is what's interesting about this podcast is some of these stories we might say some episode doesn't stand the test of time, but some events are going to cycle through. <laughs> Super relevant now. Yeah, yeah. and so uh, maybe 20 years ago we would have listened to this and went, eh, it's a little rickety if you believe. That's silly. But I think right now this is an extremely uh, relevant piece, and it's a, a classic. I'm taken by how many things in the history of humanity just keep repeating themselves over and over and over and don't get solved. It doesn't seem like they're fixable. And the idea of mass hysteria or mass amounts of people buying into something and creating either good or bad, it's not controllable to make sure that it's good. Or is there a consensus on what is good and what is bad? And I think there's a part of it that actually made me feel a little better in the sense of whatever we're dealing with at any given point in history, it's been dealt with before. We can put a temporary end to this. <laughs> yeah. All we, it seems like it's all we do. Yeah. Temporary end, then someone else comes around and does that again. I loved it. And I will tell you that what I love more is protoplasm coming to life, moving around, and them trying to kill it than the deep philosophical aspects of it, just because I like escapism. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a lesson to be learned about the importance of keeping tubs of acid in your house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you never know. You never know. Yeah. <laughs> Tim. Yeah. Hey, uh, listeners, if you don't mind, go swing by ghoulishdelights.com. That's uh, our website, ghoulishdelights.com. You'll find other episodes of this podcast. You'll also find information about live productions we do because we're going to go out in the world. And we're going to do live versions of classical radio scripts. Yes, and please stop by iTunes while you're at it and write a review. We could use some good reviews. I mean, we've had great reviews. I don't mean to belittle. We don't want any more great ones. We just want some good ones. Yeah. Stop trying so hard. (laughs) No, make them phenomenal reviews. That's on iTunes, right? I uh, have no idea how you do that. My iTunes comes up on my computer. I'm like, where would you write on here? (laughs) (laughs) You're not taking a marker to the screen. I tried that. (laughs) Didn't work. We are 80 years old. Okay, so next time we continue our January Listener Library series with a request from Ryan, The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, in an episode titled The Iron Coffin. Until then... The power of belief is a tremendous thing. Santa Claus is coming home.